You're listening to the King Alfonso Radio Hour podcast. My name is Raymond and I'm your host for the duration. Welcome to the humble digital neighborhood. I'm a translator, writer and musician, best known as a founder member and guitarist with that pedal emotion and now the everlasting yeah. Today my guest is Mick Houghton who is the publicist for that pedal emotion and a few years ago he brought out a book about his time as a publicist and journalist called Fried and Justified on Faber and Faber. I spoke to him just after its publication. During a long and distinguished career he looked after the Ramones, Talking Heads, The Undertones, Stereo Lab, Echo and the Bunnymen, Julian Cope, Sonic Youth, The Jesus and Mary Chain, the KLF and XTC among many others. His writing has appeared in Let It Rock, Circus, Zigzag, Sounds, Time Out, Mojo, Uncut and Shindig. And he also wrote the book that formed part of the wonderful Grammy-nominated CD box set Forever Changing, The Golden Age of Electra, 1963-1973. As I said, three years have actually passed since the interview, two of which due to COVID-19, of course, but further delays were caused by my complete lack of technical ability and general indolence. So I hope Mick will forgive me and that you all enjoy the interview. Part two will follow shortly and I hope to start making this pod more regularly again. I'm indebted to Viv Cosby and Nina Shah for editing and sonic support. And now on with the interview. Just note, I wrote the music that accompanies this podcast and if you like it and want to send me a big wad of cash so that I can give up my day job, get in touch. There's actually a lot of music activity on the horizon this year with some petrols reissues so you'll have to tune into part two for details. I yearn for you all tragically. A la prochaine, au revoir, and slangofoil. Bye. In fact, one of the things that I write about in the book is that when I first became, started doing PR, and suddenly, you know, the first four acts I worked with, there was the Ramones, Talking Heads, The Undertones, and The Villains. Yeah. You couldn't have got four more different yeah. groups. And this is what journalists don't understand. Yeah. I think if you're a journalist, you don't really have to think about these things. Yeah. You don't because you don't really have a kind of a relationship with a group. You might think you have because you've interviewed them for, for an hour yeah. or go on the road with them for, for a day. But um, they behave completely differently if they've been if they're with a journalist. Yeah. Um, so once you become sort of part of the process, once you start working for a record company and you're, you're meeting people on, on, on a completely different level, you know, you, that relationship is, 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 is completely different. And, you know, you know, and the Antones is a good example, and I didn't appreciate this at the time, was how difficult it must have been when they first came over to London. When they, you know, they'd done the deal with Sire, yeah. it'd been a bit of a whirlwind. Yeah. Um, and suddenly they brought to London, um, they meet me, they must be putting at Andy for the first time. Um, they did Top of the Pops, they yeah. did John Peel session, they're suddenly doing all these interviews. Um, and you don't you, you, you don't think at the time how different how different they are from, from I, I mean for me how different they were from me just because one there was a huge age gap I mean I was 29, 30 when I first started working there. right you know cult, you know my background is different and my, I might come from a work might say oh I'm from a working class background yeah but you know by then all that had been chipped away because yeah. I'd been through the whole you know, education process. Yeah. Um, and 
and, and how, I don't know what it, you know, how, I don't know what it's like to live in Derry, you know, and got a clue. Mm. And, and obviously it was, a, most people in England didn't know. Did you ever go over there? Yeah, I did, I did a couple of times actually. Did you? Because um, <laughs> you know, that was still, when you, when you went over, it probably was still with things where, you're still in the thick of it, really. Yeah, I went over in... Most in, of the day, what was your eight, impression? Eight or eight one. I mean, what... I think, first thing I would say is, is that... I only went there once, and it was to do an enemy cover story. So it might have been just ahead of um, Hypnotise, or yeah. Yeah. Hypnotise. That was what, about and, seven, eight, and, eight, and, um, Couldn't get anybody to go. They were all too fucking scared to go. Um, so... We ended up taking this guy called Paul Rambali. He was a nice guy. But yeah, I remember him. Big guy, yeah. Undertones fan. Yeah. And Anton Corbin as well, yeah. who, who had no problem going at all. But, yeah. but mo- most of the enemy journalists was just like, I would admit that they were kind of too scared to go on. They just made up excuses. Um, but I think it's, it was kind of weird because I think my first impression going there was that it was. It was almost like this kind of village, you know. You get, it, it's, 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 you know, um, everything you read about it. And I probably, you know, I, there were probably areas I didn't go to, but I, yeah. I, I, can't, I can't remember where we stayed. But I remember probably stayed in the centre, didn't you? Yeah, probably. But um, and um, I know we went to Fergal's house because we did photos there. Well, you know, I lived in the same street as Fergal. Oh no, I didn't. I did. <laughs> Yeah. And then Mickey but, Bradley actually came to live next door to my parents as well. Yeah. But um, I, the, the only thing I remember is that Fergal being Fergal, at one point after we did the interview, we, we went for a drink. It was not a bar, it was more like a shed of a building. There was a bar there, we went in there. And Fergal being Fergal could just kind of say, basically, don't, say, don't open your mouth when you get in there. So, yeah. Um, which I think he was joking actually. But yeah, because I mean, yeah, yeah. And I got, well, that's yeah. not going to help. you you know, <laughs> when you come there and you're feeling about kind of like but, alienated, and then he says, "Don't open your mouth as well." I was like, "God." And so, <laughs> so yeah, you know, so everyone. Was just, and then after about half an hour, the only thing I do remember is there was just huge explosion in the, in the, and the three of us just jumped out of our skins, and nobody else moved. <laughs> I'll tell you a story when we were at school and uh, I was our grammar school so I was only about 12 or something and we were in this hut apart from the main building but there was also a primary school just about another 100 yards but it was kind of down a slope and uh, one day a 200 pound bomb went off and it killed the caretaker at this primary school because the army used to kind of patrol along there so they left the booby trap for them but the poor caretaker got caught and it went off. It was a 200 pound bomb. You know, 200 pound bomb. It was the largest thing I've ever heard in my life. And of course, we were just wee kids and we were like kind of going crazy, you know. And the teacher just said, calm down. Has nobody heard a bomb before? And they just continued on, you know. Yeah. And I think, because we have a theory now, I think anybody that grew up through that time, you think, well, you know, we all some sort of PTSD or whatever, you know, there's definitely, you know, that. Because I always well, thought, well, collect, collect, yeah, a collective thing for anybody who grew up that time. Because you know you, you're living in this unreal situation where you know every day there's bombs going off, there's killings. I mean, I remember going to school one day and seeing, you know, a policeman be shot dead, and like at the time, just really like I can't believe it was what I thought at the time. I remember thinking he deserved it. You know, I remember I just cold heartedly yeah. walked on. You know, 
And you, now I'm just appalled. But that, that's what it became, do you know what I mean? Because we had a bit of a siege mentality as well, because people forget that whenever the IRA first appeared, it was because we needed protection. The community needed protection. They were being brutalised, do you yeah. know what I mean? It was nothing to do with United Ireland or anything like that. I mean, these people had been... You know, the whole thing from the IRA was like in the 50s, you know, it had completely, people have completely forgotten about it. But I'd say, like, the first... I was born in 60 months. The first seven years of my life, Derry was quite a great place to grow up. I mean, obviously, there was, you know, a lot of injustice and stuff, but you're not... Yeah. You're not aware of that at that age. And you're, but you get on with your life. That's the kind of the kind of noise in the background. You're just getting on with your life. But it's like, I always think, I'm glad the undertones never talked about yeah. about the troubles, you know, because, it, you know, it's stuff full of fingers and all. It never... It never rang true to me. You know, I think, yeah. okay, I understand. You know, but this is for outsiders. You know, this is yeah. a kind of romantic thing for outsiders in a way, bar, bar love. It's like every cliche in the book, you know. And the thing about it was, that it was really important that the undertones gave, had that kind of sort of joyfulness. And, and yeah. in a sense, no, I think the undertones, if you, somebody said to me, what's the one word that sums up the undertones? And I would say it's innocence. Yeah. It was very kind of innocent, and just, but joyful. And we needed that. We didn't need to be told. And as I always think about the petrols as well, it became, you know, we got mired down in the whole political thing. And there was so much more going on. I mean, we, you know, we weren't like that as people. No, we weren't no. dirt people. You know, we were out partying and having fun yeah. and chasing after girls and stuff. You know, that was what you were in a band for. It wasn't the, like, you and know, the political thing was... So I think people, the the people anyone, anybody interviewing you would either have that perception or the people that chose to interview, to interview you probably were more serious about it than you were in a sense you know they, they, well they were never know. the thing about it was they were never really well informed so they used to annoy you you know no, they, they would yeah. come out with some crap and then it was always like you know, they're all, you're always being interviewed after you're in the pub with a couple of pints and it doesn't help either because no. any stuff that you have any kind of residual anger and stuff it's going to boil up isn't it and that's yeah. what used to happen and I you know I, I was very guilty of you know, mouthing off a few times. I mean, I, like, I look back at some of the things I say and I'm like, geez, did I really say that? You know, you know you're young and you're yeah. headstrong. And yeah. but, 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 the, but the way that people perceive you, especially journalists, it, it, it's very difficult because, I mean, in a completely different way, I mean, I worked with Stereolab for quite a long time. And I think one of the things that held them back, and I think in a sense held you back, was that. Um, Journalists didn't know how to deal with you, and they they didn't know how to deal with Stereolab because yeah. they because they were kind of scared of their intellect. So they just yeah. thought these guys are really smart. Yeah, um, they're Marxists. Yeah, you know, Tim and uh, Letitia were Marxists. Yeah. so their music is very is very is smart. Yeah, um, so I think I think journalists were a bit daunting. So. And because of that, I think they're probably really serious people and they're not much fun. And they were. Yeah, no, exactly. But they're the same. It's funny you say stereo, but I, 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 we worked with Andy, the drummer, on... Um, and Horizon, yeah. and the one thing about them was they were like I mean they were very smart the way they did their business you know I mean that I I wished we had a had the kind of gumption that they had yeah. you know to kind of keep everything in house I mean and they used to come back from America with twenty thousand yeah. dollars each yeah. from merchandise yeah that's from that's not no, even I mean, that was so ahead of the game they I mean, were and I mean do you think that's yeah. the way to do it you know yeah. I mean from day one you know they would they, they would do a tour single for every tour yeah uh, every 
you know, they would, they would do vinyl pressings 20 years before, yeah. you know, people suddenly started realising that vinyl existed anymore. I mean, they built up that, I mean, in a way, because that's how they were, because they, because they, they did collect records and they understood yeah. that mentality. They brought that into their business. And, yeah. and um, I mean, in a way, they were lucky that here, you know, they had their own label. At the same time, they were signed to a lecture in America. Yeah. So, yeah. so they could sort of go to America and yeah. they had the backing for lecture and they had money coming in from a lecture. Yeah. But here they could, they, not that they kind of profess their independence all the time, but people, again, people just perceive their independence. Yeah. And that sort of, I, in a way, that's it never quite went away, did it? I think groups that were independent were always somehow commanded a bit, a little bit more respect than the ones that sold out. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it, it is. I think you're right, definitely. But it, and it was it was weird that even though we were on majors, like we were on majors like twice, you know, people perceived us as an independent yeah. band, you know, and we were only independent for like half. I mean, the probably time, people look at you know all the groups I've worked with. They would have said, "Oh, mix, mix specialised in working with indie groups." Yeah, I don't think any of them were in. You know, almost none of them were in, independent. Yeah, um, and in, in a way that I mean, those were the, the kind of people I admired. It's, it's in a different way to to, to you know continue to exposure I think, about, you know. yeah, I mean, the, the amount of stick I used to get from journalists, friends of journalists. When I took on the wedding present, it was unbelievable because people just said, "Oh, they're so boring. Um, they're just no, you know, they're no fun to, you know, they're no fun to be with. They just, it's like they're not, they're not at all boring. They just, they just, they just are so sussed yeah. that um, you know, for the first three years, no, two, two years, three years, so they signed to BMG." They, they ran this really tight ship, which was their label. You know, they did all the merchandising themselves. Yeah. They didn't go out on the road with any kind of entourage. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's very admirable, actually. And um, and it's kind of like when when they do when we do interviews. I mean, one of the great things from my point of view is because they were so because they were like that and they were so reliable. I didn't have to worry about them. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we were doing an interview. And they were, they were based up in Leeds. Yeah. And I had to send a, you know, send a journalist to talk up to Leeds. Yeah. I, I didn't go with them. Yeah. In, it's, it's funny, so in, in a way, with Stereolab was the same, because they were so organised. I never really got to know them, because yeah. I didn't need to. I think one of the things, I think, when the more I got involved in, in the PR side, and, and it was pretty full on, yeah. what, what I was doing, the group people I was working with, but I regretted that, I didn't. Have, I missed out on so much, so much other music and so many other good groups because I just didn't have time. I remember us going. I was trying to remember what's you know. Somebody said, "Do you what's your what's your memory of uh, working with Mick?" And it's that time we went to see. Do you remember we went to see Sonny Rollins in, in oh, New York? Do you remember? Yeah, that? yeah, yeah. At the bottom line, that yeah. was fantastic because yeah. we were literally in the in front of him in the yeah. front row. That was incredible. Yeah. It's kind. It's kind of weird. I don't think we ever kind of hung out very much. When I think about it now, we should have come to you and said, look, we, we never had a proper strategy, and I think we always suffered for that, you mm. know? I mean, the artwork was always all, you know, we had some really striking images, and we should have stayed with them, and they're always like, it was different every time. So I think for people, and I would say we had a core a core group every time who bought everything, but, you know, maybe, yeah. I don't know, 15,000, whatever. But then, you know, we lost people from Manic Pop's Little Babel, 
maybe gained a few new people. In Babel, we got a lot of people. You think about every record was a bit different as well. And for us, that was like, that's what we wanted to do. We even grew up with David Bowie, you know, it's like, there's progress, you're trying different things, might not work, but at least you tried it, you know. So it was like, we should have come to you and had a strategy, more of a strategy, yeah. and for you to know what we were trying to do yeah. as well. But well, I, I think I think part of that as well, I suspect, was that um, because, because I've had worked with the other times for so long, I was probably quite deferential towards John. And, and right. John, John, you know, wasn't exactly... You know, the whole idea of promoting himself or promoting the van was not what John was about. So, you know he had a bet with me if V2 wouldn't sell anything. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I mean, the thing about it is, like, like, me and John were really tight when we were in Derry and we were starting it all yeah. off, you know, because, and I mean, like, I've seen him all the time. We used to do uh, a club night which was fantastic. I mean, it was a brilliant thing for Derry because there'd be there's this nothing. Before, this before, before, yeah, because whenever, when I met him, uh, he, he, you know, he, he was obviously disillusioned with everything, you know, and, and I mean, I wasn't pushing him to, to do anything, but I thought it was a shame that he wasn't doing anything, but I didn't think I would be involved. Yeah. And then by chance, we started doing this thing and I started playing with this local band, Bam Bam, and I think John saw something in me when I was playing with him. He always says, like, one of the things that he liked about me was I was able to tune the guitar <laughs> without a tuner. You know, I just did right, it by yeah, ear. Yeah, yeah. Was Kieran in that band? Well, no, Kieran band. wasn't there. I didn't, yeah. I mean, I knew who Kieran was, but I didn't meet, I didn't meet Kieran basically until we came over in the plane together, until he joined the band. And then we were talking, we talked for about 10 hours. And, but John is like, hey, John, what do you want? So he kind of, he was kind of, I think get, he got enthused through doing the, the club night, through listening yeah. to all this music I played. him. he hadn't heard. I mean, it was a kind of two-way thing. He played me the stuff that, that I mightn't have heard. And, and I put him on to people like Beefheart and Perry Boo and more sort of left field stuff yeah. that he didn't really know. Do you know what I mean? So he was like, he got excited about that. And then when I was playing with Bam Bam and he saw me playing with him and he said, you know, do you want to try working together to see you know just to see what happens and I said I wasn't sure I didn't think I was good enough to be honest with you I always had that thing you know, you know am I and I thought well I've got to do it because I'm not going to get the chance again so you know if it doesn't work out then it doesn't work out luckily it did you know so it was, I was really lucky but you know he was really I mean it was him that wanted to come over to London it yeah. seems weird in yeah. retrospect now I wasn't I didn't want to go because I had a I had a girlfriend Derry and but he, John was, he was really enthusiastic. I think once they had the kid, that really put the, you know, it's, like it wasn't until I had a kid of my own to realise what he kind of went through, you yeah. know, because at the time you were like, you know, Damien would be like, oh, you know, this is just like the undertones again, you know, because like Damien had always wanted to do more oh, stuff yeah, in the yeah. undertones and he'd moved to London as well. So he was, I think he was like, you know, when he heard what we were doing, he wanted to get involved. But then once we were all here again and and then uh, John's daughter was born and I think he started worrying again that he, you know, yeah. it's, it's going to end up the same way yeah. again. No, well, that was it. Because I think with the undertones, it was only about Damien and Virgil. Yeah. Who kind of wanted to put the, put the work in. I know, know, I never and, understood um, why. You know, the, the thing about it is for me, a guy couldn't wait to get out of Derry. I, I always thought that because Andy wielded such kind of power, he was so dominant, um, you know, in, in his relations with, with, with the record companies and yeah. everybody. Uh, sometimes I think 
everyone kind of bent over backwards a bit too much to 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 precate. Yeah, why? Well, to become, you know, just to you know to arrange tours so that they could they could take a break halfway through and turn home. And, yeah. And then I think it was Damon actually. Damon, Damon, sorry, I hate it, which was when pretty quickly suddenly all the wives and girlfriends were on tour with them. I know, and, and, and that changes the whole dynamic. Completely, completely. Absolutely. It's because um, I mean like, you know, even in the petrols rooms like I was like, you know, I, I got on okay with all the wives, but I'm like, you know, we're working here as well. You yeah. know, this is not you know, you, I mean it was like the the classic like as much uh, like Damien's ex-wife lady I'm very fond of her but I remember one time she tried to come to Pedro's meeting with Andy you know and, and had to be told no it's not really appropriate you know and I'm like well, how could you not know do you know what I mean how could you why would you want to even be there you know it's going to be boring for you as well as anything else you know so, but, but you know but I think it's obvious to say that I think the Pedro suffered because of not comparisons with the other terms, but I think... Oh, uh, yeah, they never left it. It was weird. I, I, you know, when it was really funny, when I started working with John, I had no idea that it was going to be like that. And I think even now, I'm like, I get annoyed with people, you know, they, they, they say, like, a guy would interview me, to talk about Donatons. I'm like, I don't want to talk about Donatons. You know, mm. why don't you talk about what I've done? You know, this yeah. is like, you yeah. know, well, the Petrols was like 30 years ago, nearly yeah. now, you know, the main one. And, 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 you know, in, in a way, I don't think this was my doing, but, but the press... From day one, just absolutely loved the undertones. Yeah. I, mean, it, it, I mean, John would say, "Oh, we, we, they feel sorry for us for coming from there." It wasn't that. No, it was that innocence, and, and I don't think they played up to it. It's just how they were. Well, I mean, they, yeah, as you say, they, they, were, they, were, they had a charm about them, you know, life. They were because I mean, I, you know, they were they were never my <clears throat> like, they were never my favorite band. Yeah. Like I'd be lying if I said that. But I mean, I had some of the records and stuff, and I used to love seeing them live. You know, it showed you that it could be done. You yeah. know, and that's the one thing about John is brilliant, is that he was always encouraging. He was always yeah. saying, "Yeah, anybody can do it." You know, and I don't think they can. But I mean, the fact that somebody would say that gives you yeah. that, that hope and inspiration or whatever. So I wanted to ask you about whenever you um, st- started working with the Bunny Men and, and the Teardrops and going up to Liverpool, you said that you felt, you know, you felt like a real kind of outsider. So were they, were they, they weren't very friendly um, to start off with? No, they weren't, but to, to be honest with you, I think first meetings with every band I ever worked with was always really difficult because right. if you think about it, by the time that they're taking on me as an independent PR of what by the time when I was at Warner Brothers as it was with the Bunny Man, by the time they're, they're told to mix your PR. Yeah. Um for the you know, they got you know, they got to where they got at that point without needing a PR. Yeah. And and um I don't know if you read Bill's introductions to my Yeah, don't you know, yeah. I mean, but that's kind of how it was. It's just yeah. like what do you do? You just you just Yeah, they had no understanding you, you of your role. Because, yeah. because there were the, the four music papers were so dominant. And, yeah, and, and realistically, Record Mirror didn't count so much. In a way, that's how it was done. You you sent the record, you sent you sent the album to the enemy, they can make it sounds, and and Record Mirror, and there'd be every chance that one or two of them would would, would make it single of the week. Yeah. They contact the band. They 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 um, get a live review. They get their first feature. John Peel would pick. I mean, all those things had just happened. Yeah. And they they didn't need a PR for that. Yeah. So I think 
it was all it was kind of like well what do we need you know yeah what do we need what you, do for? Need you yeah. for what, what yeah. can you what, what, what can, can you bring to the us? table yeah. um but i think with the bunny men in particular the bunny men um they, 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 what, they, i think they were very suspicious of, suspicious of southerners yeah you know and, and so you know it's one of, you know i'm a southerner um yeah, like 30 years old by then, yeah. and they're all like 21, 22. Yeah. Um, I'm obviously, you know, it's obviously kind of kind of middle class, educated. Yeah. Um, and... Were they snotty then? Were they really snotty? They were, they were really snotty, yeah. yeah. I mean, they were, they were really snotty, but more it's just kind of, but very, but just so that it was very much, um, but it was also very much the only way they could deal with it. Sorry, this is what I was trying to say. Yeah, yeah. This is the point with um, I was going to make earlier about petrols and the other things. What's really important for any group is you've got to learn how to deal with the press. You've yeah. got to you've got to you've got to have a way of dealing with the press. Absolutely. It's not it's not, it's not a natural thing to do. Yeah. You suddenly have people coming up and yeah. asking you questions. And the bunny the only way the bunnyman could deal with it at that point was just to be was to shut them out, if you yeah. like. was just to be belligerent, not to answer questions. Um, and so it got them this kind of reputation, but it kind of worked because it got them a reputation. And, yeah, and for, a while, it, for a while, they, you know, um, they, were quite, they were kind of legendary, so it's a legendary difficult band to interview. But well, what about but, that old Barry Russell test interview with Will? <laughs> Oh God! This, which was about which? One? I mean, that's the most excruciating thing. Uh, one of the most excruciating things I've ever that watched. Was about, that was about five, six years later. I know, when, I know. Exactly. Will, Will never changed. I mean, Will, to some extent, uh, was the same ten years later as he was, you know, when I first met. I mean, Will was the worst, you know. Yeah. But, but the other thing about Bunny Run, which which was what I, which was what I saw, apart from the fact that I saw the album, it's fantastic. Yeah. What you could see in the Bunny Run was. They kind of had this. They had a purpose. You know, yeah. They, even if to some extent their their vision yeah. was very negative, their yeah. vision was almost based possibly a bit, a bit like some of the some things with petrol. Something. Their, their vision was these are the things we don't want to do. Yeah. We're not going to do this. We're not going to yeah. do that. We're not going to support acts we don't like. Um, um, yeah, they were defined by what they, what kind of they like hated. Punk, it was kind of like punk rules. Yeah, yeah, kind of yeah. punk rules. You know, it yeah. was like. You know, and and oh, it's just horrible. That's yeah. Stalinist thing. I hate it. No, I really hate yeah. it. Yeah, and you know the undertones are still like that yeah. as well. And you know, and I do remember it's kind of like you, you. I can't remember whether you were supposed to use the word gig or whether that was not the word you were supposed to use. And everything was like <sighs> that's very rockist, and that's. I think the undertones know, are the same, weren't they? Know. So, but the undertones. So, in in a way, because they didn't know any different, you know, they were kind of motivated by what they didn't want to do, and in a way, a lot of that was we don't want to do anything that. Because they were all, they were very shy as well. They were all very shy. Mm. We don't want to do anything, as Will would say, that's cherry on. Yeah. We, we don't want to do anything that's embarrassing. Yeah. So. You know, as as the when you meet any band, you know, there's a there's a there's a You've got to get beyond that barrier. You've yeah. got to get to know. You've got to get to know people because you, you they've got to trust you, and, yeah. and you, anyway, you've got to trust them as well. Yeah. It's, it's all about relationships. That's the key to it. Yeah. Um, and, and, and yeah, with the funny man, 
it, it took it took a few months and just basically I just kept turning up I yeah. just kept turning up at gigs sometimes with Germans just sometimes because I thought they were great no one yeah exactly yeah. and you know and it, it's very difficult to, to then tell us like can you see what I do now yeah. because to some extent Cro- Crocodiles was such a great album I still my favourite it is mine and that they were going to get those reviews anyway. That's yeah. all to do with me. Yeah. You know? Anyway, all I did was stick them in an envelope and yeah. send them to, you know, the, the, the guy at the enemy and the guy at Sounds, the guy at Podium Maker. But, and it's very, it's actually quite difficult when people say, well, what does the publicist do? I couldn't really tell you. Yeah. Well, you try and make the people you work with more, you know, you try and publicise the person you're employed yeah. to work with. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's a lot more than that. And I yeah. think... Um, well, it's a lot to do with your relationships with the journalists yeah. and knowing who to give it to. Yeah. And, I mean, that, that's the subtlety, yeah. isn't it? That's, that's the subtlety, but yeah. which is about knowing, knowing the group trusting you, you knowing them inside out. Yeah. And it's about you knowing, you know, knowing the journalists really yeah. well, about knowing the right people. Not just the person, the, the person that's going to like the record, yeah. but if you're, if you're arranging an interview, you want to make sure that the person you you bring along to do that interview yeah. is somebody that they're going to relate to and somebody yeah. they're going to get on with. Yeah. Um, and the photographer is going to be somebody that they're going to relate to, yeah. not, not somebody that's just going to, you know, bully them around and say, "Yes, do this, do that, stand there." Can't you? Can't you relax a bit? You know, you, yeah. you get so. Which is why working with someone like Anton Corbin was amazing. Yes, yeah. because he just was kind of weird with Anton because he was. Particularly to begin with, you know, he was Dutch. He didn't speak particularly particularly good English. I think he came over as kind of as weird as they were, you know. Right, and right. they kind of got on. Yeah, they, they liked that. Yeah. And, and um, so, so yeah. But I mean, they were they were particularly difficult. Um, but but obviously, you got over that. But, yeah, I, but I kind of got fruits. over that, and, yeah. and I think, um, and, and it sort of in a way, it didn't really help that. Um, it took a, a, a while to get to know Bill Drummond as well. Right. Because Bill... What's he like? Is he quite sort of hard to get to know as well? Um, Is he kind of gruff Scotsman? I, I, well, I think then he was. And and, um, and I think in a sense there was the same thing. I mean, Bill had got to them to that point. I mean, yeah. you know, through, you know, they'd started up the Zoo label. I mean, Bill and Balfi had produced. Yeah. Both produced the albums. They yeah. produced but they produced the albums. You know, they... Well, they had Hugh as well, so they had a good you know, team. They, yeah, they, they were a great um, team. Right there, they right? kind of got them to that point, yeah. Without, you know, without any help, and, and you know, I think the only reason that I think the bunny of the Bill uh, Zoo wanted to sign deals was because they knew that in order to get to, to get to the next level, they, yeah. they 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 needed you know an influx of money, and the only way yeah. you could do that was to do some kind of deal. Yeah, and then they were they in, in some ways they were really lucky that. Sensibly, they were signed by Seymour, but Seymour couldn't sign too many bands, so yeah. they couldn't be on site. Was that they ended up um, with with Rob Dickens? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you ever worked with him. No, Rob's, no. you know, Rob. Well, he, he seemed to be very sympathetic, really good person to have, and really yeah. smart, and he understood them, as I, and yeah. I understood them. You, you know, you, you have to understand bands, really, yeah. and you, you you kind of have to understand how do you deal with this man because yeah. they're so negative and they're so. Yeah. Uh, and, and Rob kind of knew that in a way uh, he he might suggest oh, you know, how about using this or that producer and they'd immediately jump oh, no, 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 no. He, didn't he just work you know didn't he just do 
Paul Young was like, oh, we're not working with him. You know, yeah. all those kind of, yeah. all those kind of, probably quite valid reasons. Yeah. I don't want to work with somebody. <laughs> but they didn't like being told. They didn't like yeah. being told. So Rob would just feed some suggestions. Yeah. They, they, they'd say no. And then they kind of they come around. And they yeah. come around. Yeah. And um, um, he just, yeah, it was kind of like he'd just give them their, you know, wasn't quite giving them a rope kind of thing, but he just gave them their head and said, okay, fine, you do it your way. Mm. Um, but I think in a way with the bunny man, they continued, that they carried on doing it that way. And it worked for them. And, mm. and they worked for them up to Ocean Rain. Um, and it was only after Ocean Rain, I think, that when Bill stopped managing them, and they signed another deal with Warner Brothers, yeah. where, where... I started think, the decline. Yeah, and I think it was kind of almost implicit in the deal, but we're signing you for more money but you better step up you've got to do this you've got yeah. to do that you've got to tour America yeah. or you've got to you know the records need to be more produced or, what, or whatever and um, and that was the end you know they made the, the fifth album wasn't a great album still a couple of great songs still huh? a couple of great songs but I think we just when Pete when Pete was gone there yeah. I think that's you know, Pete's gone. That's the Bonnie Man. No, that's it. And, and, and yeah, <clears throat> you know, I haven't really liked anything since, to be no. honest. But one other thing, like, I, obviously, I'm not. I didn't want to be asking you too much about the book because I, I really hate it when people talk about the book before they've read it yeah. and sort of spoil the stories and stuff as well. The one thing I do want to ask you is, I could not believe when you went to Iceland that everybody hadn't brought like proper <laughs> clothing. That really did my head. You know because. It wasn't everybody. I mean, did you did you have did was, you have was, did you, were you sort of semi sensible? No, I was the most unsensible one. Really? I mean, I had not a fucking clue. I mean, well, I mean, well and less. You know, had, had all the gear. And, oh, they did. But it was Mac here, like um, we pair. I got to see those photographs. Oh, and I mean, I mean you're Mac, standing on that kind of Mac was wearing ice ravine or something yeah, as Mac well. Mac was wearing these kind. He wore these really kind of strange shoes, like the kind of Chinese slippers or something. Yeah, just because they had no soles. I know exactly. Um, and even though he had the coat on, he, he just had a t-shirt or something, kind of flimsy t-shirt. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't even get out of the the the, the, um, the car. But it must have been amazing. It must have been amazing. It, it, it was incredible. I mean, I was, no, the photographs are stunning. They yeah. really are. Um, and um, but you know, I just I don't know why I thought. Oh, wouldn't you? Just <laughs> maybe, maybe I'll take a scarf. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that just that really tickled me. But I was like, oh god, I was horrified as well because, you know, there, there, there's two things I really hate now, and it's just any kind of extreme temperature. You know, like either too hot or too cold. You know, but I just like, can't bear yeah. it anymore. You know? but it's kind of weird, Julian. And I was the same. I used to go on all these kind of uh, to a lot of these kind of trips to, to the islands and islands with Julian. Yeah. Um, you know, basically not exactly fair weather conditions, and I'd be wearing a a fucking jacket and nothing else and, and Julian just used to call me the city dweller you know because because I just never uh, I never kind of appreciated that I was going somewhere where actually you know, like, you, know you needed to uh, wear something a little warmer like, more practical I mean I didn't wear boots you know I just have you know suede shoes a jacket and you could fucking freeze and you're getting soaked you know? or trying to open an umbrella in the middle of a a gale, gale, gale force yeah. on, oh my god on some remote Scottish island yeah. so what about Julian? I, I do think Julian's the single most talented and, and, and actually in, in, in 
has the most towering intellect of anybody I've ever met. Yeah. And, 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 um, well, he was great for Scott Walker, wasn't he? He, was single, he single-handedly <laughs> revived his career, and he, I think his status today yeah. is all down to Gillian, yeah. I would say. Do you not think so? Oh, no, totally, absolutely. I mean, I, it's funny, when I was when I was writing about that, um, and suddenly I thought, because he called that, you know, the album called The Godlike Genius, yeah. from Scott Walker, I suddenly thought, has anybody ever used that phrase before? Yeah, really. And I researched it, but I spent a day trying to find out has anybody else ever used the phrase godlike genius, yeah. which is now it's entered the language. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'm convinced actually Julian, that was Julian. Yeah. You know? um, that was typical of Julian as a way to describe somebody whose music at yeah. the time he, he was infatuated with. It's the godlike genius of Scott Walker. And, just that um, lovely but enthusiasm. But not just that, but you know, um, uh, crowd rock, you know. Yeah. Just. just his enthusiasm, he, I've never known anybody who, even more so actually when you think about it with the books, the modern antiquarian books, who can yeah. make the driest, the seemingly driest of subjects yeah. just entertaining. He's, he's, yeah. That's his talent. His talent really is that he's got this ability to... to um, just to turn people on. Turn people on, engage people in things yeah. that... that um, they never thought they'd engage with. I think part of the problem, in a way, was that, that as that was happening, I think they stopped engaging with him a bit. They stopped engaging with his music. Right. And and I think his music got a little too extreme. And I think the point when he yeah, I kind of lost me. I mean, there's but you know, I can kind of tune in and out. Uh, um, <clears throat> rest, uh, I'm trying to think what what. Um, I, th- I think he's you know you could really do a really great Julian compilation, yeah. couldn't you? I suppose a bit like a Pedro's in a way. You need to kind of like really, you know, from all the stuff that he's done, you could put together a really brilliant yeah. double album, you know, yeah. like really great, you know, like there no a, filler yeah. on whatsoever. But there was that incredible period, which I don't think you could ever compile because the the bad is the bad is as much part of it as the good. But like Peggy Suicide, Joe Overkill, and I think all together, incredible albums. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I think in a way the the problem with Julian was that. After that, he, I think he, his writing was so good. I mean, head on was so brilliant. Yeah, Brett, and then the modern yeah, antiquarian. Yeah. But the, in a way, uh, I think, I think people, uh, I think he became better known and more. Uh, I think the critical, the, and it took took a long time when people finally stopped thinking of some kind of acid, okay, yeah, some. You know, demented acid casualty. So, you know, the kind of the as as the as the embodiment of the cover of Fry. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's, what, yeah, that's, that's how people perceived him. Yeah. Suddenly, they realised, God, he's 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 done this. He's written yeah. this book. He's written that book. Um, he's a proper kind of academic and aware. He's isn't extraordinary. He? I mean, he's he's so extraordinary. Um, and I think that you know, I think that comes with the price. And he just don't and he's always he he's always been out on his own. I think one of the things that. Um, I was really pleased about it in the book is, is trying to explain th- this core the core relationships with the, of the Bunnyman Julian Bill Balfe. Yeah. Because there was a period when, if you think about it, they you you, you come from that kind of scene that was the, the Eric scene. Yeah. To 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 them suddenly sharing this kind of journey and then suddenly becoming and you know and, and always probably being kind of having there's always been a certain rivalry yeah. and then suddenly that rivalry becomes 
um, amplified by yeah. by virtue of the fact you're uh, you're being fated by the press, really, yeah. and and, yeah. and in different ways. So the bunny, I mean, the bunnymen were kind of lucky because they all they kind of had each other. They were yeah. a group, yeah. and they were really solid uh, at that time. Yeah. Um, and, but Julian, but it was good to have a bit of competition as yeah, well because they yeah. you know, it spurred them all on, didn't it? it, it no, it did. And, but and, but you also had this, these extraordinary talented people managing them. Yeah, and, you know, not yeah. builds manage. I would say yeah. you, you like you know like you know if you're a band like the Bonnie Man or like a Petals, you need somebody like Bill. You need yeah. somebody to go. Right, we're not going to do you boring. If you could have married Andy's business sense with Bill's. Absolutely, yeah, yeah because fact, Andy's rock solid. Yeah. Like, you know, the money and stuff, you know, like Andy's not going to, yeah. he's not going to. I mean, then the offset with, I mean, the bunny, I mean, it was all, it was all kind of hand to mouth. I wouldn't mind, actually, that'd be lovely. You know, I love Liverpool, I always have. Anytime I haven't been there that much, but anytime I go there, I love it. I find, I think there's a real affinity. I think, I think Derry is the Liverpool of Ireland. And I think Belfast is like Manchester. Yeah. You know, Belfast, Manchester—they're—they're they're really kind of their their humour is more dour and yeah. sort of sarcastic. Do you know what I mean? Whereas Liverpool is more um, effusive. Yeah. You know, it's that that sort of no, lovely, no, no, yeah, sort no, of open-hearted. Yeah. You know, and something. that's what's at the core of that Liverpool scene. Yeah. I think as well. I, and there was certainly that was the core of the Bunnymen as well. The, yeah. And that was why it was so sad when. You know, and this did all happen after, after Pete went AWOL and, and, and came back and he was never really accepted back. I mean, that yeah. was it. It was, it was over. It was over because... I mean, I think, again, so I, I, when I talk about it, I remember things I wrote in the book. I mean, yeah. and the thing I, thing I said about Pete was Pete was impossible not to like. Yeah, that's and, what everybody... That's the impression know, I get and, as and, well. And Paul Simpson talking about yeah, it. Yeah, and you just, you just couldn't... It, it was just something about him and... Um, yeah, he was very lovable, wasn't he? Even I don't know, but I, I really but, loved him. You know, and a great drummer, as well. fucking drummer. Yeah, at, absolutely. At the time, yeah, definitely. Um, and but, but that that was what was so special about the Bunny Men, and, and this kind of way that you got these three kind of introverted scouts. Yeah, and he kind of pulled them out of that. And, su- and suddenly, you know, this kind of posh lad that was was waiting to go up to Oxford turns up because he was a mate of Bell's brother or something. Yeah. And um, they knew they had to get to a drummer, a drummer, and they just kind of oh, we'll try him out. And, and Bill, I think as Bill says it's like within three within three hours. That was it. You know, yeah. they, they were transformed. Almost. Yeah, of course they were. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, he was always an outsider. Yeah. Always yeah. an outsider. Yeah. Um, in the same way as I was, you know, because yeah. not, not even just... But then Mark caught himself off pretty quickly uh, yeah, as well, because yeah. I remember when we played with him, you know, because, I mean, I was... We played with him in Dublin, and it would have been 80, 85 or 86, and, I mean, I was just over the moon because they were my you know, yeah. my favourite band for about two, three years. And, like, Will came to watch us do the sound check, and we did we did um, Lifeblood, one of my songs, and he, and he came up to me afterwards, and he said it reminded him of early Pink Floyd, you know, like Sid Barth. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you know, for, he was my one of my heroes. For him to say yeah. that, you know, that was like the ultimate validation for me, you know, so I was like over the moon. Yeah. But already by then you could see, because I remember we gave Les a lift back to the hotel one night, and he was out drinking with us, and like Mark had a bodyguard and was keeping himself away and stuff. And the first night they, were, they weren't very good either. Then the second night they were brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so I thought. But it's funny, it's, it's funny what you said about Willis. I mean, that was Will. You know, Will 
He's a fan, isn't he? He's just a he's fan. A fan. And, and I think one of, the, one of the things that really I found difficult for a long time is that of all the bunny men, I, I would probably related to him yeah. in terms of his taste in music and my yeah. taste in music. Yeah. But you could never have a conversation with him. It's like, you, you know, it's that thing, it's like when you meet any, and you know, I always just think when you meet a group, and, it's, and I say it's difficult, whether it was, you know, whether it was the Bunny Man or Sonic Youth or whoever, you're kind of clutching at straws to find this, this common link. And yeah. the common link is usually music. Um, but the thing you can never say is, I think your record's great, because it's just, it, it's, there's no way it doesn't sound totally insincere. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. um, so you kind of, you skirt around that and, and you try and find, I mean, it, it always worked for me with groups because I, I was that bit older and yeah. w w whoever I met, there was always something in my past that I could say, oh, yeah. you know, I saw the doors at the Roundhouse or yeah. Jefferson Airplane or I interviewed Gene Clark or uh, saw Tim Buckley yeah. in 1968. And, and it's just not in the right order. I saw all, all the festival hall and with Earth. I saw the incredible string band with Tim Buckley. Pentangle's uh, first gig, first proper gig. Fairport Convention with Sandy Denny. Um, there's another one in there. It's just, just, there was just. Uh, this all happening. Yeah. I did, and I think I saw the people. Pink Floyd that year. Um, Where would that have been? Uh, actually, I saw Pink Floyd in Hyde Park, so that would have been, that was 68, so it yeah. was after Um And um, I've got more, the other, the other amazing one thing I saw in 68, it was probably, it was just, just loads. Did the Doors play, where did the Doors play, the Royal Park? That was 67. That was 67. Um, but it's, you know, it's kind of weird, I don't know if you found this, but when I saw the Doors at Roundhouse, which was 67, I was kind of too young. I'd not really been to many gigs. I mean, I was really quite um, sort of led, even though I was totally into music and I knew so much about music, I never went to gigs. And I'm like, yeah. So I'd led quite a short life, I guess. Right. It's kind right. of whatever you said, you, you didn't go out. Well, there was nothing there. I mean, I did go out. No, I did go out, but what, my thing was I would never be able to stay at late. And in Derry, there was there was nothing else to do. Yeah. I mean, you know, all activity would have been around the ballpark, which is the where the famous undertones pictures where they yeah. have lots of ballpark, and we would hang out there and play football. And then when you started going with girls, it would be like you'd maybe meet them down there and go for a walk or whatever. So there was nowhere really to go, I and mean, then there was the odd gig. I mean, there was it was really funny before the undertones. It was all show, like either show bands or you had. The two big bands were King Rat and Toe Jam, both really like ultra profession stuff, and they looked like rock stars. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. that was the first time I went to see that there was like a kind of a big rock gig in Derry. I, was, I must have been about 14, 13, no, it was about 14, 15. I went to see Toe Jam and King Rat, and they all had beautiful girlfriends, you know, they were all, <laughs> they were really, there were a lot of them, were like, the singers are all really good looking guys, you know, but they, they just did covers, you know, but they were brilliant, you know, yeah. it, was like, it was like seeing the band, you know. Because I went to college at, in Coleraine and I lived on, just on the coast. It should have been built in Derry, but of course politically they wouldn't do it. So they, they built it on the swampland halfway between Derry and Belfast. And uh, But it was brilliant because I went up to live uh, in Port Rush by the coast 
there was no army there. There was no police. There was one policeman for what they call a triangle area. Yeah. So you have like three towns. You have Coleraine, Port Rush and Port Stewart. I never saw so like a anybody. Bobby on the beach. Bobby on the beach. I never yeah. saw. There was one for the whole triangle area. I never saw him the whole four years I was there. So it was brilliant, you know, because, you, you, you know, it was like that claustrophobic thing, the dairy and the, the troubles and everything that goes with it. So it, it, was, it was amazing. But even then, a lot of bands didn't come. I mean, we had a few... Dexys was the, the big one. Dexys came before, it's like, I think it was like 10 weeks before Gino. So nobody, it was the dance dance yeah. tour, yeah, yeah. 50p to get in, and there was 50 people there. And it was just one of the best things I've ever seen in my life because they were ready to go. And they played like there was 50,000 people there. You know, they were, they were just so well drilled and they, they knew they were great. They knew it was going to happen. And I, Kevin was the only person I've ever asked for an autograph, Kevin Rowan. Now, obviously, I was. Whenever I did meet him later, I said, "You, you completely inspired me." You know?